In his book entitled Fuzzy Memories, Jack Handy tells the story of a childhood bully who daily demanded his lunch money. Because the bully was taller, bigger, and stronger than Jack, Jack gave the lunch money every day without questions asked. One day he thought to himself, this is crazy. I need to fight back. So he took up karate lessons. The karate instructor charged $5 a lesson, which for Jack at that time was a significant amount of money. After a few weeks, he quickly concluded, you know, it'd be easier and cheaper if I just paid the bully instead of paying the karate instructor. So he stopped taking karate, ate a bigger breakfast, and kept paying the bully. When I hear that story, I think to myself, there are far too many Christians who've come to this conclusion. I think it's easier and maybe even cheaper if I just keep on paying the bully. When you and I come to the end of the Ephesian letter, Paul is reminding us that we are in spiritual warfare against the bully, the devil himself. It sounds as if Paul is a general who's rallying the troops. He sounds like a coach who's giving a rousing halftime speech, urging his players to execute with more precision and passion. He gets to the end of the letter, and in so many words, Paul says, I did not write this just to get an amen out of you. I wrote this to evoke action from you. For you, my friend, have been saved to stand. This morning, we conclude our 11-part sermon series over the book of Ephesians. We focus our attention today on Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20. It's to those verses I ask you to turn this morning. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 6, allow me to begin at verse 10. We'll read through verse 20. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Paul begins by saying, we are to... Be strong in the Lord, to put on the full armor of God. The word put on is mentioned twice, once in verse 11, once in verse 13. It means to put on with permanence, 
It's not the idea that you put on only to take off, only to put on, only to take off again. It's to put on with permanence. It's to put on and to keep on and to press on in the spiritual war. He says that we are to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. The word stand is mentioned three or four times in our passage. We find it in verses 11, verses 13, and in verse 14. The word stand is a military term. It means to take hold of a critical position even while the enemy is advancing against you. It's the imagery that we are thrust into war. There are arrows flying. There are bullets flying. There are comrades that are falling on our left and on our right. But you, as a child of God, as a one in the army of the Lord, you are to take your stand. You are to take a critical position even while the enemy advances against you. And Paul identifies this enemy. He is the devil himself. He's the adversary. He's the one who has crafty schemes. He is the proverbial bully on the playground. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ours is against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world. Ours is against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul seems to stockpile demonic descriptions of the adversary to convey the severity of our battle. This is not something to be taken lightly, my friends. Spiritual warfare is legit. It is for real. It is not just a figment of our imagination. No, it is real. So Paul says to the church, I want you to be fully suited in the armor of God. I want you to wage war against the adversary, the devil himself. Now in the days of Paul, he did not have to convince the early church that the devil was real. They believed it. They knew it. All they had to do was walk up and down the streets of Ephesus and they, find, they found all the temples of idolatry and the practices of immorality that were running rampant in their culture. They understood that the devil was real. But I fear that today in the 21st century, most people, even in the church, fall in one of two categories when it comes to the identity of the devil. The first category is that there are many people who believe he just does not exist. People that think that the devil is just a figment of our imagination. He's just a cartoon image that's always portrayed as one dressed in a red suit with a pitchfork in his hand and horns coming out of his ears and a triangular goatee on his face. It's just a, a cartoon image. It's just uh, something of our imagination. A few years ago, the Gallup poll reported that 85% of Americans believe there is a God but only 63% of those same Americans believe there's a devil. There are many people in our culture, maybe even in the church, who don't really believe that the devil exists, yet this morning I want to tell you, he is for real. He's a fallen angel. He is a creation of the Lord. One day he wanted to usurp God's power. He wanted to stand up against the sovereignty of the Lord. He wanted to be God. So God did the only thing that he could do. He evicted the devil and all of his demonic cronies out of heaven. The first time we see him slither upon the pages of scripture is right there in the opening chapters of Genesis. It's there that he takes the form of that serpent, that crafty wild animal, and he tempts Adam and Eve. He calls into question the instruction of God. He even openly defies the commands of God. Did God really say that you cannot eat from this tree? And Eve responds, she said, oh yes, we cannot eat of it. 
She added her own interpretation. Oh, yes, we cannot even touch it, for if we touch it, we'll surely die. And then he contradicted the very word of God by saying, you will not surely die. For if you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You'll be God. You'll be your own God. And when Eve saw that the food was able to eat and pleasing to the eye, she took some, she ate it, she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. From that moment on, there has been a tug of war in the heart of every son of Adam and every daughter of Eve. Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe the devil? It's a tug of war that goes on in every heart, every person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Every person has always struggled with this reality of who do I listen to? Who do I believe? Do I take God at his word or do I believe the lies of the adversary as if they were truth? Who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to obey? And from that moment, there's been a, uh, an epic tug of war in your heart and in mine. For those of you who still think that maybe the devil is a figment of our imagination. Let me just remind you that Jesus thought he was pretty real. Jesus says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come so you may have life more abundant and free. Jesus did not come to wage war with a cartoon character. Jesus came to wage war against the thief, the devil himself. So for anyone who wonders, is the devil real this morning? I want to tell you he is real. And he is prowling around the earth looking for who he can distract and devour. There's one camp of people, they believe the devil doesn't even exist. There's another camp of people when it comes to the identity of the devil, and they actually go to the opposite extreme. Not only do they claim that he exists, but they almost put him on par with God. Equal in strength and power and ability. For practical purposes, they are Christian dualists. A dualist is one who believes that God's goodness and the devil's schemes have been uh, going on this uh, train track uh, all throughout all time and eternity. And then they'll come to a, a conclusion at the very end in a cosmic battle when either God's goodness or the devil's schemes will be victorious. My friends, you and I are not dualists. We do not believe that the devil is as powerful as God. Remember, the devil is a creation of God. He is a fallen angel so the devil's no match for the Lord. Oh, the devil has some power, but he's not omnipotent. The devil has some knowledge, but he's not omniscient. The devil can be many places because he employs his demonic cronies, but he's not omnipresent. Oh yeah, he, he knows some things, but our God knows all things. He has some power, but our God has all power. He can be here, but not there. But our God is everywhere. He's all, the, all of him, all places, all spaces. Our God is omnipresent. So there is really no match because God is God all by himself. And the devil is a defeated foe. So let's be very clear about this. The devil is real. And the devil is crafty. And the devil is powerful but he's no match for the Savior. Don't ever forget what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4. O child of God, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Don't ever forget that. Live in that identity. Live in that reality. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So if you are in Christ and if Christ is in you, you have the victory over the devil himself. You are one who is victorious in Jesus Christ. 
Paul is coming to the end of his letter. He wants us to know who we are. He's been talking about our identity all throughout the letter, our identity which leads to activity because who we are determines what we do and how we behave. And so Paul wants to do in good preacher fashion, he wants to really wrap up the letter with a powerful closing illustration that really packs a punch. And so he looks around and he thinks to himself, how can I communicate this idea of spiritual warfare? How can I really communicate that we are victorious in Christ? We're battling a defeated foe and that God has thoroughly equipped us for everything that will will, uh, 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 be in front of us. How can I communicate that? And then Paul just looks around. You remember that Paul is writing this letter while he's under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier practically 24-7. And he looks around and he sees that Roman soldier and he says, that's it. That's the image I'm going to stamp on this letter. That's the image that I want the church to understand. That's the image that I want God's people to realize. This is how we've been thoroughly equipped. So Paul tells us once again to stand. It's a military term. It means to take a critical position even while the enemy is advancing against you. You stand because you've been saved to stand. And we stand fully equipped and furnished in the armor of God. So he begins to talk about the pieces of that armor. And he, he correlates that. What, what the Roman soldier literally possessed, we possess in Christ. So he begins, firmly fasten the belt around your waist. Every Roman soldier knew that a belt was vitally important because the Roman soldier used that belt to uh, tuck in all of his loose garments of clothing he was not going to go on the battlefield with loose garments of clothing because if he had uh, those loose garments then the enemy could just grab a hold of those loose garments and drag the soldier wherever the enemy wanted him to go so he would tuck in all the loose garments of his clothing so that he could be sleek on the battlefield And Paul says, you, my friend, you have a belt of truth. You subject everything in your life to the truth of God. Tuck it in to God. You tuck in all of your relationships. You subject your marital relationship to the truth of God's word. You subject your parental relationships uh, to the truth of God's word. You subject your workplace relationships to the truth of God's word. Whether you're a servant or whether you're a master, whether you're a CEO, whether you're an employee, whether you're a salary worker or an hourly wage worker, whatever it is, all your relationships with your co-worker, coworkers, your boss, and anyone else, you tuck all those relationships under the truth of God's word. And not only that, but every loose garment of your life, your finances, your family, your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your failures, all of your goals, all of your attitudes, your actions, even your thoughts, you subject it all to the truth of God. You tuck it in left and right so that you can navigate the battlefield. Because the last thing you want is for the adversary to latch on to some loose article of clothing in your wardrobe. And if he latches on to something that's untucked, if he latches on to something that's loose, then he will drag you wherever he wants you to go. And Paul says, no, we are like a Roman soldier. We have a belt, a belt of truth. He then speaks about the breastplate. One of the most iconic images of a Roman soldier was that breastplate. 
Most of the time, it was molded metal. It was shaped to the torso of the soldier. It would go from his neckline, his shoulder area, all the way down below his belt, covering uh, all the vital organs. He, it would cover the heart and the lungs, the stomach, even the intestines. Because this was vital. If you were in hand-to-hand combat, and if there was a, an arrow that struck your heart, you'd pretty much be down for the count. If there was something that came and punctured your lungs, you would probably die. A soldier knew that in hand-to-hand combat, if someone of the enemy, if, if he stabbed him in the stomach, then he would probably bleed to death. So the soldier always wore the breastplate. It's interesting that in those days, it was believed that a man's thoughts came from his heart. They believe the heart was the seat of intellect. In fact, Jesus will say, out of the overflow of the heart, the man speaks. It was also believed that feelings came from the stomach. Emotions came from the intestines, the the bowels, the the core of who you are. So at the core of your identity are are your thoughts and your feelings. Stop and think about that. Paul says, you are covered with the breastplate of righteousness. What covers the core of who you are? God's righteousness. And when you think about the attacks of the adversary, where does the devil attack you first? Where does he attack most aggressively? Usually it's in your thoughts and your feelings. Sometimes thoughts that are not of God. Feelings that are not very godly. And that's where the devil attacks first. And Paul says it is those areas, those, those uh, personal areas, those vital organ areas, those are the places where you are covered with the righteousness of God. And you and I have said before that righteousness in the Bible is twofold. It is imputed righteousness that God looks upon us and credits the righteous innocence of Christ as belonging to us. That because of what Christ has done and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are declared innocent in God sight and because of that imputed righteousness then we uh, have practiced righteousness where we want to do right because we've been declared right in the sight of God. Paul says over all of your thoughts, over all of your feelings you have the righteous declaration of Christ upon your life. So you have the breastplate of righteousness that covers your thoughts and your feelings which give way to your actions and your behavior. He says also the Roman soldier is fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. I realize that some of us have a lot of shoes. You've got a closet full of shoes. You've got rooms full of shoes. You've got storage units full of shoes. You've got a lot of shoes. But in the first century, to have a pair of shoes was very extravagant. Every Roman soldier was issued a pair of shoes. He was fitted for these shoes because the Roman government understood that that Roman soldier had to march on rugged terrain, up mountains, in riverbeds, across jagged rocks, broken glass. And if that soldier was in battle, the last thing he needed were feet that were bruised and calloused and blistered and bloody and sore because if his wheels weren't good, 
He could not maneuver all throughout the battlefield. And if his wheels weren't good, then the, the enemy would understand that he could take that soldier wherever he wanted him to go. He was not nimble enough, not fleet-footed enough to actually do anything against the adversary. So the shoes were very important. Paul says, you as a child of God, as a soldier in God's army, you have been fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Sometimes people take that to mean that that as a soldier in God's army, we're eager in evangelism. Now, certainly we need to be eager in evangelism. We need to take the gospel of peace wherever we go. But keep in mind that Paul's not primarily talking about evangelism. He's primarily talking about waging war against the adversary. So uh, Paul reminds us that in order for us to do battle with the devil, we've got to be at peace with God. And the only way we can be at peace with God is to have the gospel of God upon our life. The only way that we can uh, do war against the adversary, the only way that we can wage war against the devil is that you and I have to be at peace with the Lord. And the only way that we can have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with fellow man is to embrace the good news gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though we were dead in Christ, we have now been made alive. It is by God's grace that we have been saved. It is this good news gospel that dictates every place that we go and everything that we do. So whether we're on the mountaintop, whether we're in the valley, whether we're over here, whether we're over there, across the street or around the world, if you have the gospel, then you have the shoes that take you wherever God wants you to go. So Paul says, you, my friend, have been fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. But not only does Paul say that as a child of God, do we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. He also speaks about a shield. He calls it a shield of faith. The Roman soldier had a shield that would have been about two and a half feet wide and about four feet tall. Not too large to be cumbersome on the battlefield, but large enough to be an object of protection. Because whenever the enemy shot flaming arrows at the Roman soldier, that Roman soldier could then hunch and hunker and hide behind that big piece of metal. Two and a half feet wide, four feet tall. That was big enough so that soldiers could get underneath it, behind it, and be protected by it. Don't miss the imagery. Paul says that when you wage war against the devil, he will fling fiery arrows at you. Arrows of distraction, arrows of temptation, arrows of allurement. He will uh, fire all types of arrows at you. And the only way that you'll be protected, the only way you can survive is for you to hide and hunker behind the faith that God has given you. Faith is a gift from God. You do know this. Faith is something that God gives you. Faith is something that God pulls out of you. Faith is something that you respond to God, but faith is a gift from the Lord. The only function of faith is to accept what grace offers. And the only way that you and I can survive in this uh, war that we wage against the adversary is that there are times that all we can do is hunker and hide behind our faith. Because it's a faith, it's a shield, and it protects us. Paul says there's also a helmet of salvation. The helmet's obvious, isn't it? If your head receives a fatal blow, you're out. I mean, if your head is lopped off, you're dead. There's not much more you can do. So 
your head had to be protected. Your head gives sight. It gives vision. It gives direction for the entire body. So Paul says that every Roman soldier had a helmet. That helmet was to protect. It was vitally important. What is it that protects your life? It is the salvation of God. It is a gift of God. Though you were dead, now you're alive in Christ. We have God's salvation planted and placed upon us, and it gives us sight. It gives us vision. It gives us direction. It is God's salvation that tells us where to go and what to do when we get there. And so we have the helmet of salvation. He finally says that we have the sword of the Spirit. The sword that Paul has in mind is not a, not a long sword. It's about six to no more than 18 inches long. It's really a big knife is what he's talking about. It's the weapon that was used in hand-to-hand combat. I mean, don't miss the imagery. This is, this is tough stuff. I mean, you can you not only see the enemy, but you can feel his breath upon you. I mean, it's up close, it's personal, it's, it's hand-to-hand combat. I mean, it's somebody's going down. Either you're going down or the enemy's going down. It's hand-to-hand combat. And Paul says, when you get that close to the adversary, when you get bound up, when you get fighting him, you've got to use the sword of the Spirit. He calls it the Word of God. I find it very interesting that the word that's translated word is not logos. That's what you expect to find. Logos. Logos is the common Greek word for word. It's not the word that he uses. He uses the word rima. Rima. Rima is translated word. It means a specific word. So logos is a general message. Rima is a specific word. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, when you're in hand-to-hand combat against the bully on the playground, when you're in hand-to-hand combat with the devil himself, when you're engaged in spiritual warfare, the only weapon that you have is the word of God that you've got to know and surgically be able to apply. It's not that you can just have a general understanding of, oh, yes, this is the Bible. And yes, we believe it from cover to cover. Oh, yes, this is God's word. When was the last time you read it? Oh, I can't quite remember that one. But no, we can't just have a general understanding of the word. We've got to have a specific understanding of the word because there are times we've got to apply a specific verse to a specific situation. And only in the specific verse to the specific gener- uh, uh, situation do we have victory in that moment. So Paul says, you use the rima of God because you're in hand-to-hand combat and you've got to be able to apply God's word at just the right time. How did Jesus defeat the devil when he was facing the temptations? He defeated the devil with the word of God. Every time Jesus knew exactly what to say. After all, he authored the whole thing. He remembered what he wrote. He knew what to say, and he applied it accurately. The only way for you and I to be able to do that is that we have to be a student of the book so we can wield well the sword of the Spirit. We've got to know the Word, be in the Word, to correctly use the Word against the adversary. When I think about the armor of God that Paul portrays here, what a powerful image it is. Belt of truth. Subject everything to the truth of God. Breastplate of righteousness. That God's righteousness covers our thoughts and our feelings. We are fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. The only way we can wage war is to be at peace with God through his gospel. 
We are protected by the shield of faith. Our head is covered with the salvation of God. It gives us direction of where we ought to go. And we have the sword of the Spirit so we can do some hand-to-hand combat against the devil. When I think about this, there are a few obvious observations that come to mind. Let me mention them to you quickly. The first one is uh, intentionality. You've got to put on the armor of God. This is not something that just grows on you. You got to put it on. It's got to be an intentional effort. Leon Morris put it this way You can drift into sin, but you can't drift into righteousness. You can drift into sin. But you can't drift into righteousness. The reality of righteousness in your life requires intentionality. You and I have to put on the armor of God. So you're not being childish if you say, you know what, Lord, I need to remind myself of this every day. So I'm going to write this down on a piece of paper. I'm going to put it on the mirror. And so when I get up and I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm going to just go over these parts of the armor of God. That's not childish. That's wise. Because it requires intentionality. You've got to be intentional. You don't drift into righteousness. You may drift into sin, but you don't drift into, right, uh, into righteousness. So the first observation is intentionality. The second observation is identifiable. It's clearly obvious. You, you can identify a Roman soldier. If you lived in Ephesus and a Roman soldier walked down the street, you would say, that's a Roman soldier. How do you know? Because of the uniform. It's easily recognizable. It's very identifiable. In a similar way, in our day, if, if a police officer walks up and down the street, you don't look at that police officer and say, you know what, that just could be a doctor. That might be a lawyer. No, it's a police officer. How do you know it's a police officer? Because it's very recognizable, the uniform that they wear. In the same way, if you and I are a child of God, it ought to be recognizable. It ought to be undeniable that if somebody looks at you and they, they listen to your talk and they see how you walk, you know, in the book of Ephesians, walk is the way you live. They, they see how you live. They see how you walk and talk. They should be able to tell, hey, that person must belong to the Lord. Undeniable. That person is easily identified as a child of God and one who belongs to Christ. There's a third observation, and the third observation is equipped. This Roman soldier was thoroughly equipped. He was given everything he needed to be victorious in battle, and it was given to him by the Roman government. The Roman government gave him everything he needed. Around this time, the Roman Empire was the largest in history. The sun never sets on the Roman Empire. The Roman military was the greatest military the world had ever seen. A Roman soldier was thoroughly equipped. And the Roman government gave him everything he needed to be victorious on the battlefield. The Roman government did not give him anything so that he could acquiesce to defeat. He had everything he needed to be victorious. You, as a child of God... You've been given everything needed to be victorious against the enemy, the devil himself, and it's been given to you not by your government, but by your God. 
God has given you everything that you need to be victorious in battle. Now it's up to you to use it and to wield it well. It is up to you to apply it. But God has given you everything that you need to be victorious. You are thoroughly equipped. And the fourth observation is simply the word offensive. The Roman soldier was always on the offensive. He was never in retreat mode. In fact, if you look at the Roman soldier, there is nothing to protect his backside. Not a thing. Nothing. You say, well, the helmet. Okay, I'll give you that. The helmet went all the way around the head. I got that. But if the Roman soldier turned around, you would quickly see there is nothing to protect his backside. The only things that were given to the Roman soldier was so that he would be on the offensive. He's moving towards the enemy, not running from the enemy. There is nothing about the Roman soldier that issues uh, defeat or waves a white flag of surrender. No, the Roman soldier was macho. He was mighty. He was powerful. He was always on the offensive against the enemy. And Paul says, we... As children of God, we ought not retreat. We don't run from the devil. We run to the devil. I've told you before, I'll say it again. If you haven't bumped into the devil recently, it may just mean that you and he are walking in the same direction. If you're going against him, you will bump into him. And if you are a soldier in the army of God, if you take this spiritual warfare thing literally and seriously, you will be on the offensive. You're not going to run away from him. You will run to him. Why? Because you're thoroughly equipped. And God's given you everything for success, not failure. Paul says over all of this, put on prayer. Pray for yourself. Pray for one another. Pray for me. On two occasions, Paul says, Pray that I may be fearless. He says it in verse 19 and verse 20. What an amazing, honest confession. Paul says, I know you think that I am strong and mighty. You, you think I've got it all together. You think that uh, I have no fear. That's not the case. Paul says, my natural DNA is to be muted, to be silent. To keep my mouth shut when it should be opened. To open my mouth when it should be shut. But when it comes to the things of God, my natural DNA is just to be muted, silent. Will you pray for me, Paul says? That whenever I open my mouth, I'll proclaim the gospel as fearlessly as I should. Pray that I will be fearless in the proclamation of the gospel. Fearless. That's a word that's mentioned not once but twice. And Paul is asking for this. Oh, my friends, I do not take lightly when you come up to me and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Thank you. Thank you. My DNA is very similar to the Apostle Paul's. I have a temptation to be muted. And I, like Paul, need you to help me to be as fearless as I ought to be. You say, oh, but Pastor, you stand up there and you preach. You don't even preach with notes. I know that. But that doesn't mean I'm bold. That just means I can remember stuff. <laughs> You pray because there are times when my DNA will kick in and I'll be silent when I ought to speak. 
Paul says we pray for each other. Pray, pray for yourself. Pray for the person on your right, the person on your left, the person in front of you, the person behind you. You pray for one another. And, and Paul says, please, please, pray for me too. Because as I pray for you, you pray for me. Because we are soldiers in God's army. We have been saved to stand. You've not been saved to retreat. You've been saved to take a critical position even while the enemy is advancing against you. You've been saved to stand. June the 6th, 1944, British and American forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. Historians call it D-Day. It marked the beginning of the end of World War II. Those British and American forces took 60 miles of beaches. 60 miles. A few years later, Stephen Ambrose wrote a book that chronicled some of the stories of the soldiers. One particular soldier said, when we saw what was before us, it was overwhelming. 60 miles? There's no way we could do that. And then um, we were told, you just concern yourself with the few yards to the left of you and the few yards to the right of you and no more than the 40 yards in front of you. And that soldier said, we took 60 miles, 40 yards at a time. We just focused on what was in front of us. And when the enemy showed himself in front of us, we took care of it. And we knew that those on our left and those on our right were doing the very same thing because we had the same mission, the same calling, the same task. And we took 60 miles of those beaches of Normandy, 40 yards at a time. Oh, my friends, the analogy is right before us, right? It seems overwhelming. We look at our world and it seems as if the world's going to hell in a handbasket. We look at our world and it appears as if everything is falling apart. All the buildings are burning. Families are decaying. We look around and say, how in the world? It seems that the devil is winning. How do we tackle this? 40 yards at a time. Whatever's right in front of you, this day, this week, this month, whatever's right in front of you, you tackle it as a soldier of the Lord. Because God has given you everything to be victorious 40 yards at a time. So what lies ahead of you? Is it a marriage problem? Is it a temptation? Is it a struggle? Is it a crisis? Is it a, is it a problem at home? A problem at work? A problem at school? Is it something that the devil is using to try to distract you and jerk you all over the battlefield? What is it? What is it? What is it that is right in front of you that you need to aggressively take and stand? This morning, I want you to know that you're invited to be on God's side. You may come in here and say, wait a minute, I, I think I'm on the wrong team. <laughs> Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Today, you can go from death unto life, from being an enemy of God to being an adopted child of God. In a moment, you can do this. As we sing, you come, you take one of the ministers by the hand and say, I need that. Maybe you're here today and you are a soldier. You're, you're somebody who's in the army of God and you're fully suited. But here recently, you've been retreating. You've been turning, tucking, and running. That's crazy. Stop doing that. Come and cast yourself at the feet of Christ. Maybe you're here today and you just need to be part of a band of brothers and sisters right here called First Baptist Pelham. Whatever it is, my friends, what I'm simply trying to tell you is this. You have been saved 
to stand. So stand as one who's victorious. Stand as one who is victorious. Stand as one who is victorious because you have been saved to stand. Heavenly Father, we give you this invitation. And Father, as your spirit has been like a general rallying troops for war, as a coach uh, urging the players to execute with more precision and passion. So, Lord, over the last 11 weeks, you've been doing the same thing here at First Baptist Pelham. And, Lord, I pray that today you will help us to realize that we've been saved to stand in Jesus' name. Amen.